Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 326. It's titled, The New Math of Retirement Spending and Investing. A new member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus recently posted on the forums about monthly income plans, managed payout funds, income replacement funds, target retirement funds versus immediate annuities. She's planning on retiring in two years. She's a conservative investor, feels like she doesn't have much of a cushion when it comes to her savings, and is looking at all of these options and isn't quite sure which if any, are appropriate for her investing. I'll admit, I had to look up what a monthly income plan is or a managed payout fund, an income replacement fund. They sound like marketing terms created by the investment advisory industry, and to some extent, they are. We're going to look at the new math of retirement investing and spending in this episode. What's new about it? Interest rates are very, very low, and that's starting to have an impact. A number of listeners participate in the U.S. federal government's thrift savings plan. One of the options in that plan is the G Fund. This is a fixed income fund, but it's unique in that its yield is based on the average interest rate on all the treasury bonds outstanding with maturities four years or more. That's what investors in this fund get, and the share price in the fund doesn't fluctuate as interest rates change. Now, they don't get the capital appreciation when interest rates fall, but they also don't lose money if interest rates rise. But now, the yield on that fund is only 0.9%. That's what the fund earned in 2020. It didn't even beat inflation. That's a very different environment. That's just one fund. Another thing we face with the new math of retirement investing and spending is stock market valuations are extremely high. And inflation is unknown. And there isn't even agreement on whether we are experiencing deflation right now or inflation and inflation numbers are wrong. In the meantime, the Federal Reserve the U.S. Central Bank has stated that they're willing to allow inflation to exceed its 2% target for some period of time in order to catch up so that the average inflation rate is about 2%. We're going to take a look at retirement spending and investing in this episode. And let's start by looking at some of these vehicles that this new member mentioned. Back in episode 279, I shared how in 2008, during the great financial crisis, I flew out to Maryland and met with the clients 
who were individual investors, retirees, these were the clients of a client of ours, a financial planning firm. And I saw the impact that a 50% decline was having on their psyche and came away from that meeting realizing there needs to be a different option. It was in that next few months that I learned about immediate annuities. I attended a conference in Chicago, learned all about the different insurance products. I obviously didn't sell insurance products. In that episode 279, I went into depth on immediate annuities and a safety-first retirement approach that Wade Faw outlined in his book by that same name. Faw writes, safety-first advocates support a more bifurcated approach to building retirement income plans that integrate investment with insurance, providing lifetime income. An immediate annuity is an example of one of those insurance products. The annuitant pays a one-time premium and then receives a monthly check for the remainder of his or her life and, if they desire, the life of his or her spouse. Generally, they're level payments, but they can be set up with a cost-of-living adjustment. The benefit of immediate annuities is it eliminates longevity risk. You get the payment as long as you and your spouse are alive. It eliminates market risk. The insurance company is responsible for investing the premium and delivering the monthly annuity payment, irrespective of how investment markets return, whether interest rates go up or fall or the stock market has terrible returns. They make a promise to meet that insurance contract to make those payments. An immediate annuity potentially could eliminate inflation risk if it's indexed to inflation, but that inflation rider can be very expensive. There's also an option to get back some or all of the principal payment if the annuitant dies in the first five to 10 years of the contract. I learned about annuities in 2008-2009 and recommended that to this financial planner client. There was only one problem. They didn't sell insurance products either. And if a client would buy an annuity, that client would go to an insurance company and that money would flow out of the individual retirement account or taxable account that the advisor was overseeing. And the advisor was charging an asset management fee. They received a percent of the assets under management. And if a retiree takes a couple hundred thousand dollars out of that account to buy an annuity, then the advisor would make less money. In addition, the mutual fund companies that the advisor was investing in, they would make less money because the money would flow out of those accounts also. And it was around this time that major mutual fund companies such as Vanguard and Fidelity came up with a solution that was sort of supposed to mimic some of what these immediate annuities would do. These were managed payout funds that would provide a steady monthly check for decades to the investor, irrespective of what markets did. That was the idea. Vanguard's offering was the Vanguard Managed Payout Fund. It was a mutual fund with underlying investments in stocks, bonds, and other asset classes. Its target payout rate was 4%. Now, the problem with this solution is it didn't eliminate market risk or longevity risk like an immediate annuity does. If the money runs out, then the investor doesn't get any more funds from that particular account because the assets are not pooled together. It's a commingled fund, but with an immediate annuity, 
the premiums are all pooled together and the insurance company invests those. And if an annuitant dies sooner rather than later, those premiums that haven't been returned to the beneficiaries fund the annuity payments of those that continue to live and live well beyond their actuarial expected life. These managed payout funds don't have that. The investor has their individual account. That money is invested, but this is a target payout. It isn't a guaranteed payout like there is with an annuity. Vanguard determined the payout every January based on the average performance of the portfolio over the previous three years. And in early 2019, they cut the payout by 8% because the prior three-year performance hadn't been so great, including a 5.7% loss in 2018. Vanguard, in February 2020, changed the name of the fund and admitted this just isn't working. It's now called the Vanguard Managed Allocation Fund. Matt Brancato, who heads up Vanguard's Portfolio Review Department, said, If something isn't working as intended, we'll make a change to meet investors' needs. The payout mechanism didn't work, was cumbersome to administer for most distributors, and led them not to offer the fund. This fund had close to $2 billion, but that wasn't considered a success with Vanguard. It was a complicated structure. Daniel Weirner is chairman of Money Manager Advisor Investments and editor of the Independent Advisor for Vanguard Investors Newsletter, said people may be looking for a one-stop solution, but it doesn't exist. That's what this Vanguard fund was supposed to be, a one-stop solution. Fidelity offered something similar. It was the Fidelity Income Replacement Funds. They changed the objective also. They rebranded those funds in 2017 as managed retirement income funds with a focus on higher income rather than managing the payouts. I looked at the suite of funds and they're complicated to understand. One of them is the Fidelity Managed Retirement Income Fund. It has an expense ratio of 0.45%. The prospectus says the fund seeks high current income and as a secondary objective, capital appreciation. So it's just targeting income. And as interest rates fall, its income payout will be less. And it's, again, invested like the Vanguard Fund in a number of different asset classes, including stocks and bonds. Schwab has a similar fund, the Schwab Monthly Income Funds. They target income payouts of 1% to 8%. But again, they fluctuate as interest rates change. The problem with these funds is it's difficult to determine how much the fund will earn, what the return will be, how much income will it generate, what's a reasonable expected return. There are no guarantees about the income, unlike with an annuity. In some ways, it's just simpler to construct your own asset allocation because you know what's in it and you can make the own adjustments because the other thing is these funds can adjust the allocation over time. So you're never quite sure what the allocation will be. Let's think about this new member then that wants to retire in two years. How should she approach it? Given interest rates are very, very low right now, and some of these solutions that Vanguard, Fidelity, and others came out with during the time of the great financial crisis have changed. They have failed in their objective to provide a target payout. They've converted to income-oriented funds where the payout will vary. They've stopped trying to provide a steady amount. And part of that amount that was coming out was a return of capital. 
So it was some of the unrealized gains was going back to the investor. It just wasn't all income because there is no way to generate a 4% income yield on your portfolio right now without taking significant credit risk or interest rate risk. But let's think about this member. What's the goal? The goal is to have enough income to cover our expenses throughout retirement. And we don't know how long that retirement will last. That's the ultimate goal. The easiest way to accomplish that is if you could just get a guaranteed fixed payment that's adjusted for inflation for the rest of your life, done. But for most of us, that's just not possible because government retirement programs such as Social Security don't pay out enough to live on exclusively on Social Security unless you live a very, very Spartan life. Sometimes we can complement that with an immediate annuity, and I think most investors should do that. But those immediate annuity payments are usually not indexed to inflation, unlike the federal programs are. Social Security is, and that's very, very helpful. Sometimes there's a pension plan, a defined benefit plan, but most retirees don't have that. But the safety first approach is to cover the vast majority of our expenses with a pension, a federal retirement plan, Social Security, and with immediate annuity, and then use the remainder of our portfolio to cover inflation adjustments and other expenses that come along. It can be more discretionary. Falling interest rates have had an impact on annuity payouts. Back in 2008, I used a hypothetical male, 65 years old. It was based on annuity rates or quotes that I got from immediateannuities.com. The annual payout, which is the annual dividend amount divided by the premium paid, was 8% or higher. In December 2019, when I released episode 272 on immediate annuities, the payout for that 65-year-old for an immediate annuity was 6.3%. Again, the annual monthly payment divided by the premium paid. In January 2021, it's down to 5.8%. So much less, but still helpful because it is guaranteed income the rest of your life. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. 
Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Now, after that episode, I got a number of questions on fixed annuities, which are different. Fixed annuities, sometimes called deferred annuities or multi-year guaranteed annuities, are sort of like a certificate of deposit where you invest a certain amount and then at the end of the term, you get the principal back plus interest, but it's guaranteed. There's some advantages to fixed annuities versus CDs, and the primary one is the yields are higher. If you go to immediateannuities.com, currently the annual rate on a 10-year fixed annuity can be as high as 3.2%. Five-year annuities can be as high as 3%. Greg, a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, was very helpful in a forum post describing his approach to choosing one of these fixed annuities. He went to AMBEST, which rates insurance companies, and made a list of the highest rated companies and then looked at what the annuity payouts were. He found that the three to five year fixed annuity rates were similar to the longer ones. He chose a three year rate of 2.4%. He points out one of the advantages of fixed annuities is that the interest earned is tax-deferred. So it accrues on a tax-deferred basis. And then if you withdraw the funds, then you pay tax. With a CD or certificate of deposit, at least in the U.S., you pay tax every year on that interest, even though you don't actually get the money. It stays at the CD. Greg points out if you purchase a fixed annuity with non-retirement funds, you need to be 59 and a half when the term is complete or you'll pay a 10% penalty because of the tax-deferred nature of the annuity. Now, it takes some time to understand these, but that's, that's another option. As opposed to a traditional bond fund, if you are willing to give up some liquidity, immediate annuities and fixed annuities are guaranteed by state insurance pools. So if an insurance company goes bankrupt or the money is lost somehow, there is some guaranteed money from the state. Now, this has been an extremely rare event, but it does provide another level of assurance. Once we have some guaranteed income sources and we know what those are, then we have to invest the remainder of our portfolio. I don't believe there's a one-stop solution for this, that a managed income fund, or some of these other vehicles that have changed over time, it's, I think it's best for investors to build their own multi-asset class portfolio. 
with exposure to stocks, bonds, real estate investment trusts, and other asset classes. The approach should be a total return approach. It can't just be trying to generate a high enough yield because yields are so low. And in order to generate a four to five percent yield, it will take much higher risk than most retirees might be comfortable with. A cautionary note on yield is one of the highest yielding asset classes out there are mortgage real estate investment trusts. These are a type of REIT that invest in mortgage-backed securities, which are bonds backed by home mortgages. Mortgage REITs yield over 10% because they use leverage. They borrow money and then invest in these mortgage-backed securities. The yield has traditionally been over 10%, but the total annualized return has been 6.2%. Because there are periods when the REITs sell off and when the dividend is cut. On Money for the Rest of Us, there's a complete guide to understanding mortgage REIT investing. And you can learn all about this intriguing asset class. But it is an example of you can't just focus on yield. You have to understand what the drivers of the returns are and what the risk is. Cash flow is important. Dividends and interest are important. But it isn't just that. How is the cash flow growing? What is the valuation? All the things that we teach on money for the rest of us. The biggest component of how long our money will last is how much do we spend out of the portfolio? What's the overall asset allocation and the returns, including the sequence of returns, and what inflation has been? The traditional rule is known as the 4% rule. It was developed by Bill Bengen. He published a piece in 1994 where he talked about SafeMax, which is the highest first-year withdrawal rate, so the dollar amount spent divided by the portfolio value, that is then increased by the rate of inflation. So what is that dollar amount expressed as a percentage of the overall portfolio that, that the retiree can spend in the first year and then adjust by the rate of inflation over a 30-year time horizon such that the portfolio doesn't run out of money. His initial analysis back in 1994 was based on a portfolio invested in tax-advantaged accounts. It had 30% in U.S. large company stocks, 20% in small company stocks, and 50% in bonds. Bengen recently came out with a new article. He has sold his financial planning firm and now is retired. And this article was in the Financial Advisor magazine, the October 2020. He wrote, my research over many years indicates that an initial withdrawal rate of 4.5% sustained all portfolios from 1926 up until now. He's assuming a 30-year time horizon for retirement. If you live longer, you'll need a lower spending rate. But it also depends on the pattern of returns which is influenced by the valuations. Are stocks more expensive or less expensive? He found there were times where a retiree could have initially withdrawn 13% from the portfolio and then adjusted it for inflation. The average was 7%. And he found the worst case scenario was 4.5%. He points out, though, and he says, it's not a law of nature, this spending rule. It's empirical. It's based on certain conditions and assumptions. 30-year time horizon. 
50% stocks, 50% bonds, historical return patterns. He says one size doesn't fit all, and the number you choose could be anything. And then in this October 2020 article, he writes, I can't emphasize enough the importance of inflation to a portfolio's sustainability. The timeline of inflation that a retiree experiences when they stop working is as important to their portfolio's endurance as the sequence of investment returns, which has received much greater attention. This truth has been masked by a history of generally low inflation in the United States over the last 100 years, leaving out the 1970s and the period from 1948 to 1952. Inflation has been low, and that has allowed a higher spending amount because the annual adjustment due to inflation isn't as high. What we don't know, then, is what will inflation be going forward? And what's important is your personal inflation rate, not the official inflation numbers. What type of inflation are you experiencing? And inflation is a cost of living index. It is calculated based on a basket of goods. In the U.S., there are over 200 categories of goods that make up this reference basket. The price of those goods is compared from one period to the next. But the makeup of the basket changes, and this is where it gets controversial. There are some, such as John Williams of Shadow Stats, that believe that basket should never be changed. What was in that basket in the 1950s should be what's in there today. And if that calculation is done, inflation is higher than the official consumer price index inflation rate. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, which calculates inflation in the U.S., writes that inflation is a cost of living index that measures changes over time in the amount that consumers need to spend to reach a certain utility level or standard of living, a level of satisfaction. And so that product mix can change. John Early, who served twice as assistant commissioner at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, wrote in a Wall Street Journal editorial, If consumers always bought the same amounts of the same goods and services, a CPI would provide an accurate picture of inflation. But when the relative price changes, tastes shift, or new products are introduced, consumers substitute relatively cheap or more preferred items for relatively expensive and less preferred ones. As cell phone prices have fallen, for instance, consumers have shifted away from landlines. The CPI calculation didn't capture the price drop from that substitution. He's saying, and others also suggest, that the inflation numbers, the official ones, overstate inflation because there's more substitutions taking place with higher-priced goods than are actually reflected in that reference basket. The BLS does make some adjustments, but they're saying that there needs to be more. There are those that believe we are going through an extended period of deflation and it will get worse. Jeff Booth who wrote the book, The Price of Tomorrow, has argued this, that technology is pushing down the price of goods and services once we adjust for how much better things are and that we should just let that happen. But others, as I mentioned, believe inflation is actually higher than the official numbers suggest. And even some suggest that the numbers are being manipulated. I think it's somewhere in between. I think there is downward pressure due to technology improvements. Inflation is a subjective measure. It's complicated, which is why the best measure of inflation is to look at what we are spending, 
and how that has changed over time as we do our annual budgets and track our spending on an annual basis. Look at what we're spending. At the end of the day, that's how we can survive and thrive in retirement. We use a safety-first approach and get some guaranteed income sources, relying on government retirement programs, immediate annuities, fixed annuities, take the remainder of our assets and build an investment portfolio with multiple return drivers. If most of our income, our day-to-day living expenses, are being covered by guaranteed sources, we can take more risk in our investment portfolio. It should be diversified, not exclusively focused on income, but there can also be speculations, perhaps even cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies was a large driver of my overall portfolio performance in 2020. We should then monitor what we're spending and what our personal inflation experience has been so that we can make adjustments on that withdrawal rate. Perhaps we start at 3%, 4%, or 5%, but recognize this isn't a hard, fast rule. Valuations are more expensive right now. Bill Bengen just retired. He's starting with a 5% spending rate. We can then adjust our spending based on our personal inflation, based on our rate of returns. Perhaps if performance has been very good, we can bump up our spending a little bit. Or if we're going through an extended bear market, we can be more conservative. But it's the flexibility that will help us navigate these uncertainties. That then is episode 326. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you would like to learn more about investing, there's two ways I can help you with that. First, consider joining my weekly email list, The Insider's Guide, where I share with you an essay on money investing in the economy, as well as the links to the articles and resources that I mentioned in that week's podcast episode. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. If you would like some guidance in building out your retirement investment portfolio or saving for retirement, Money for the Rest of Us Plus can help you with that. This is a community with professional-grade portfolio tools to help you build a multi-asset class portfolio, understand what the expected returns are and the risk. There's even model portfolios to jumpstart your investing. And finally, there's a community to support you as you navigate uncertain financial markets. You can learn more about Money for the Rest of Us Plus at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the retirement. Have a great week. 